You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It is estimated that only one-third of children and families in need of psychological services receive such services, and approximately half of children who do receive treatment terminate prematurely. For children who need help with disorders of conduct, this is particularly troublesome later in life when they risk participation in delinquent activities, violent crime, school dropout, substance abuse, unemployment, and a myriad of dangerous behaviors. Through his research, my guest today strives to understand the factors that motivate parents to participate in treatment for their children. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Boston is my guest, Dr. Matthew Nock, Director of the Laboratory of Clinical and Developmental Research in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. Welcome, Dr. Nock. Thank you for having me. Dr. Nock, clinicians who treat children are well aware that parents are part of the patient package. You will not treat a child unless they are brought by a parent or guardian. And this actually can be quite frustrating to manage in that several people are constantly evaluating whether therapy will begin, how consistent treatment will be, and how long it will continue. What are your thoughts about the role of parents in child therapy? Parents are, as you suggest, outstandingly important in the child therapy enterprise. As you mentioned, it is a parent who usually makes the decision to bring a child for treatment. It's a parent who must consistently bring the child or guardian and the parent who must pay for services and play a role in when treatment begins and to some extent how it goes in the middle. So I think we really, really must have a parent on board throughout the course of treatment. In your work, you've looked at two factors that are known to predict clinical change in adults receiving psychological services, treatment credibility and treatment expectancies. Tell us about each of these concepts. Sure. Credibility refers to a person's belief about a treatment, how much they they buy into or believe in its credibility. Is it a credible approach? Is it the thing that they should be engaging in? And expectancies refer more to a person's belief about how things are going to change in the future. So not just is this a believable treatment you're presenting me to, but how much can I expect to change or how much can I expect my child to change over the course of this treatment? And will it work? Will it work? Is it important to understand both the child and the child's parents' beliefs about these concepts? We think so. Lots of prior work, certainly not enough, though, has focused on child beliefs about treatment and certainly important to have a child on board. In our work, we focused much more so far on the parents' role, largely because we think this has been ignored in the research literature. As we just mentioned, parents play a huge role, but not a lot of folks have looked at what parents think about treatment and how motivated they are, and we thought it was an important direction to focus on. What have you learned about family characteristics in predicting what families believe about therapy? What we find is some families, particularly those who come from a lower socioeconomic status, have weaker beliefs about the credibility of treatment. They think that treatment is less credible and less likely to be effective. We also find that parents who are socially disadvantaged in some way experience barriers to treatment. And these are concrete barriers, such as getting to treatment, getting transportation, finding childcare for other children if the parent needs to be involved. And these barriers can be broader and more treatment-focused as well. These factors are experienced by all parents coming in, potentially, believing that treatment is too demanding, believing that treatment is irrelevant, or having a poor relationship with the therapist or clinician. And all of these barriers have been shown to be related to higher rates of dropping out of treatment. So important things to consider, we think. Right. So it's really not just what they think of the treatment. They may be on board, but there may be factors in their lives that add to the burden of the treatment and make it less valuable in a sense. Certainly. And relationship with a therapist, something I think is really important to to focus on. Sometimes, I'm sure this has not happened to 
you or I or any of your listeners, parents won't like the person treating their child. And this is something that a lot of us might ignore or say, well, it's not important. But it can be. It can be important if the parent doesn't like the clinician, doesn't like where they're going or what they're doing, the parent might be less likely to continue to have the child treated. Really unfortunate for the child, but a, just sort of a fact of life. So something that I think really needs to be focused on to keep treatment going. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Matthew Nock, Director of the Laboratory of Clinical and Developmental Research in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. And we are discussing parent involvement in child therapy. Dr. Nock, how do treatment credibility and expectancies correspond to parents' adherence to treatment recommendations? People, perhaps not surprisingly, who believe treatment is not credible or people who have low expectancies for treatment will attend treatment significantly less. What we found that was a little bit surprising was that those who have really high expectancies for treatment also come to treatment less. So we find a curvilinear relationship where having expectancies that are too low or too high don't seem to be a good thing. This is a little bit surprising and leaves us a little bit stunted in terms of what to do to try and affect expectancies early on. That is really interesting. I suppose both are unrealistic. Both are unrealistic. We want a person to have a balanced belief about what to expect in treatment. So we might want to have a person have a realistic view of, of where to head from there. In contrast, we do see linear relationships between motivation for treatment and barriers to treatment. So those are things that we clearly know we want to increase and decrease respectively. Mm -hmm. And I know you're focusing on parents in your research, but I still want to ask, if parents are believers, will it still make a difference if the child is not a believer, if the child doesn't like the therapist or the child thinks it's not valuable? Again, I'm sure all the children treated by you, myself, and your listeners like them, but it really depends on the treatment. If one is doing a parent management training, sometimes the child would never even meet the treater, so it doesn't matter so much. If a clinician is working directly with the child, then, of course, having the child on board is going to be important, particularly if it's a skills-based approach. So if the treatment, so to speak, involves just talking to the child, then just by coming to the treatment and talking, the child will be engaged. But if the treatment involves skill-building, problem-solving skills, you know, practicing these in sessions and then going out and using them in the real world, or taking a medication um, that is managed by the adolescent, then having the, the person doing this on board is, of course, very important. Mm -hmm. Another interesting fact that you unearthed in your research about parents was that some of those who were on board with regard to treatment credibility and had positive expectations for treatment did not necessarily exhibit better skills learned in therapy than other patients. That's right. What we're focusing on here is sort of two related but distinct things. That's how do people do in treatment and how much do they adhere to treatment and how much do they attend or are engaged in it. So we're trying, on one hand, to get parents involved and engaged, but then we also want good outcomes, and the two don't always go hand in hand. We hope that they do, but they don't always do so, which makes this whole enterprise slightly more complex. You also noted that parents of children with more severe dysfunction had lower expectations for treatment, and you noted that this is accurate in a way because those children are less likely to improve, but could it be that those low expectancies interfere with treatment? certainly possible, and that's not something that we looked at in the research to which you're referring. But it could be that if parents don't think treatment's going to work, we do know that those with low expectations attend treatment less, and that could certainly play a role. If people are not on board, 
If they're not going to come, they're not going to engage in the treatment. So it could be it could work through both pathways. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Matthew Nock, director of the Laboratory of Clinical and Developmental Research in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. And we are discussing parent involvement in child therapy. I suppose part of the reason for studying this is not just for prediction, but to be able to modify these variables in hopes of improving treatment. How would the clinician modify expectancies and treatment credibility during treatment? Well, we recently completed a study where we didn't attempt to modify expectancies or credibility given sort of the, the curvilinear relationship and the, and the complexities likely to be involved, but we did attempt to modify motivation and barriers to treatment. So essentially, what we did was borrow methods from the motivational interviewing literature, basically in an an initial session, elicit from parents self-motivational statements about participating in treatment. And this simply took the form of, tell us why you want to be involved in treatment. Tell us why it's important for you to bring your child into treatment. The idea being that if you can get the parent to make the argument themselves, they'll be more likely to follow through with the behavior rather than telling them, you need to be involved in treatment, you need to come in for treatment. We also help parents identify barriers to treatment that are likely to occur over the course of treatment and to generate specific concrete plans for overcoming these barriers. And this simply took the form of, how are you going to get the treatment each week? What if that transportation breaks down? What will you do? Okay, let's write that down. What if we propose something for you or your child that seems too demanding or that you don't agree with? What can you do? An example would be, I can talk to you about it. We can discuss it. Great, let's write that down. What if you start not to like me over the course of treatment, and this could become a problem? What can you do? Well, we can discuss that. I can bring it up. Or I can talk to your supervisor. Great, let's write that down. So we just simply wrote all these things down, made a photocopy, gave it to the parent. After eliciting self-motivational statements and going through this this problem-solving technique, we then began treatment. And what we found was that families randomly assigned to get this quick 5- to 45-minute intervention compared to those who don't, attended significantly more therapy sessions and had significantly higher adherence to treatment based on parent report as well as clinician report. Wow. So it really worked. I'm impressed. It's terrific. And it makes sense. There's a lot of power in predicting what will happen and attending to those predictions, problem solving, figuring out, okay, what are you going to do? Even that issue of liking the clinician to admit that this could this could happen. And what will you do? How can we talk about it? How can we address it rather than having something like that happen and then never seeing the client or the child again? Right. So really straightforward, brief, and easy to do. And we actually put this into a, a very brief manual, and it is on our website. If anybody would like to download a copy of it, can be freely used by any clinician. I think in any setting, I'm working with adults or children to try and increase motivation and decrease barriers to treatment. And I suppose there are clinicians who are working with populations where they find this happens more frequently, a difficult population where maybe there's a lot of dropout and this would be very helpful. We hope so. And the website for that manual? It's our website in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. The website is www.wjh.harvard.edu forward slash tilde, my last name, which is Knock, forward slash Knock Lab. 
and under the publications link, you can find the research reports as well as the manual and all associated forms for this intervention. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about helping parents to get involved in treatment for their children? I think you know, having parents on board, having parents ed- educated about what, what we're doing um, in terms of delivering psychological treatments can be really, really important. Making the process transparent for parents is very important. There's, I think, to summarize, one other website that drives a lot of this home and that provides evidence for evidence-based treatments, and that is clinicalchildpsychology.org. And on this website, there is a link on evidence-based treatment that parents or clinicians can visit to get a sense of what these treatments, uh, what evidence-based treatments should look like and so they have a better sense of what, what's going on with their child and how they can best be involved. That's great, because parents really do want to help their children and removing any barrier that gets in the way of them doing that. We think so. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Matthew Nock, Director of the Laboratory of Clinical and Developmental Research in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Nock. Thank you so much for having me. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.